Today, as I said earlier, there's going to be a, a collection for our brothers and sisters around the world. And, uh, and what a privilege and an honor it is to participate in something like that. I've been a Christian 25 years, and I never, never get tired of thinking about what we have here in the Los Angeles church with what they have in their churches. And the difference is vast. Today, my, my lesson title is the grace of giving because it is an act of grace to give. And I'm going to explain that in the situation in Corinth. But giving is a powerful experience. When someone has given something to another person, there is a connection. I was doing the sermon and I, it had to do with the Macedonian churches. And I thought about someone I knew from Macedonia. There's only one guy I know. His name is Robert Cusef. And Robert Cusef, 25 years ago, uh, went to Mount Sac Junior College or Community College where I was a disciple. And he came into our campus ministry and we studied the Bible with him. He became a disciple. He was a, uh, on a track scholarship. He was a 110 high hurdle. He um, participated in the Olympics for his country. And uh, he stayed with my family when he had hard times here in the States. My mother and father took him in. And, um, you know, it was at my wedding. And then all of a sudden, Robert disappeared. And we lost contact. And so I reached out on Facebook yesterday. And I just decided to look up his name. Because, you know, Macedonia. I thought, well, maybe I'll give it a try. And I, I, I found him. I think it was, it was his picture. But is it really him? I don't know. But so I, I said, hey, if I sent him a friend request. I don't do that very often. I'm not really too big on friend requesting, but I did. I said, I'm going to, and I clicked it and thought nothing of it. This morning I woke up, not feeling great, but went to my computer and I saw on my Facebook little, the little number, Messenger, and I clicked on there and it was Robert. And Robert was just pouring his heart out, saying how much he missed me and he's so grateful for the time that we had and he was a little bit embarrassed that he had just left without you know, just left, and we had not contacted in many, many years. No way, you know, I don't know his number in Macedonia. So uh, he, um, he was just very sorrowful. And I said, no, 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 I'm just glad that I got connected. I'm just so happy that we were able to help you. I'm just so happy that we were able to help you out in a, in a time of your life where you needed help the most. And he was just so, so overwhelmed with just the gratitude of being given to. And there's a connection that you have with one, one, another person when they give to you. The offering that we're going to give today, it serves a purpose for around the world, for our current churches, and also for planning of churches. In a united effort, the churches of Christ have mission societies all throughout the United States. We belong to a mission society called the Baltic Nordic Mission Alliance. I happen to sit on the board for that, and all that means is I just give my input for spiritual help and support for the churches in former Soviet Union, like Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, also for Norway. Um, I'm going to be uh, leaving to Norway here in a, in a few days. Uh, their minister resigned, and I, um, they asked me to come up because I have a long-standing relationship with the church to go there and help them during this transition. And uh, if I could ask if you can keep them in your prayers um, because it was, you know, they, they don't have a minister, and we're not sure what's going to happen there. So we just pray for wisdom. I pray I can support them and help them process through this difficult time of sorting out their future as a church. 
Um, the title of my lesson, The Grace of Giving, is the title of, of the sermon, but um, this is really out of the 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Paul asked the church of Corinth to help out, um, sorry, Paul asked the church of Corinth to help out the disciples in the Jerusalem church. It was a famine and things were not looking good. So Paul is asking a Greek church to help out the Jewish church. Can you, but just, just, suck, just embrace that moment, for, just that idea for a second, because you have a Jewish church that was trying to circumcise everybody. There, I'm sure there were some attitudes with the Greeks that you can't be saved unless you're Jewish first. And so Paul is asking the, Jew, the Gentile church to help out the Jewish church. And the irony couldn't have been thicker. So this is the backdrop. And so, I have a couple quotes here that I find to be true. One is that generosity isn't about money. It's about the heart. It's not really about a dollar amount. Second quote is you don't have to be rich to be generous. These two statements are true. They both reflect spiritual truths and there have been times when I've given out of excess, and there's been times when I've given out of poverty. And today I want to take you along in the world of Paul and examine a few scriptures how Paul looks into the Corinthian church and he asks them to be generous. Corinth was a wealthy city. It had two ports. There was a lot of trade, a lot of commerce, and a lot of wealthy disciples there. So Paul asked the wealthy Christians to help out the Jewish church in Jerusalem. You know, Corinthians were not only wealthy, but they were a moral people. You know, they had a saying saying, live like a Corinthian, which basically means, you know, live, live however you want to live. Be, be as moral as you want. As you read the letters of Corinthians, you see the challenges they had in their church. I mean, it's pretty significant. So Paul is asking that church to help out the, uh, the, the Jerusalem church in their time of need. Now, money can be a sensitive topic. True or false? I find that true. There's a reason for that. Money has this weird effect on us. It's, we need it, but then we shouldn't love it, and it has this weird relationship. But let me give you some interesting truths here. God doesn't want our money, nor does he need it. In fact, it's not our money anyway. It it's all belongs to God. So when the Bible talks about money, it does not look at it from a monetary point of view. The Scripture's central concern is not how we make it, it's not how much we have, or it's not even how we spend it. Rather, it's a matter of worship. While money is not strictly good or evil, it's certainly not neutral either. It exercises some kind of spiritual power. It claims our worship. It promises happiness. It promises blessing. It promises justification. It promises salvation and redemption completely without God. Isn't that interesting? So today I want to look at the scriptures into a church and how their giving was an, ex an experience of grace. And you're thinking, well, how does giving and grace, how do those link up? Well, let me show you how they link up. My first point is money is, prof is, is a profoundly spiritual reality. Money is a profoundly spiritual reality. There are two chapters in Corinthians that give us a good chunk of the New Testament significant teaching on money. 
The apostles making a financial collection. Because you remember in 1 Corinthians 16, it says, you know, set aside some weekly money because we're going to collect it for Jerusalem. Um, and that's, that was what he instructed them. And so Paul is going to make this collection, and it's a monumental spiritual significance. Twelve months have passed, and things are stalled. New church leaders entered Corinthians. They didn't speak well of Paul. They brought some kind of form of prosperity gospel. So Paul is trying to, to, to get them to give what they agreed to give the church in, in Jerusalem. So Paul writes his letter trying to appeal to them, and he connects the grace of giving with giving. Now, the teachers weren't kind to Paul. They were trying to undermine his authority. So that was a big challenge. But Paul the Apostle does not try to manipulate the Corinthians by showing them poverty pictures or destitute people. He doesn't say, hey, I need, we need this amount of money. He doesn't do that. He doesn't have some kind of financial formula. Instead of calculation or manipulation, the Apostle points them to the freeness to the freeness of God's grace. Here's what I mean. He writes this letter to them in chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. If you notice, I highlighted the word about because in the original Greek, that word is not there. It's not about the grace. The text actually reads, I want you to know the grace of God. Not about the grace of God, but you know, translators try to get a good phrase for you to understand, but that word is not actually in the Greek. And it changes a little bit of the meaning when you look at it that way. I want you to know the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches versus, I want you to know about a story over here. No, he wants you to know the grace. It's the only experience of the grace of God that begins and that sustains and that deepens genuine Christian generosity. And it is through generosity that we experience more grace. I'm going to explain that in a minute. Let me just put a concept here for you. Grace and generosity are intertwined. Because money is profoundly spiritual. The money is a topic in the Bible that's covered more than faith. Money is a big deal. Because it's profoundly spiritual. From the start, Paul's aim is not to shake down the Corinthians, but for them to draw on the joy of God, to know Christ, and to become like Jesus, and to know the grace of God. So the Apostle Paul presents examples of how grace works, and the greatest example that Paul gives to the Corinthian church is Jesus. And he writes in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Money is a profoundly spiritual reality. None could be richer than Jesus himself. Would you agree? Eternally secure in God's glory, he is the one whom all creation was made through and for, and he dwelt in unimaginable wealth. And out of sheer grace, what Paul's saying, out of sheer grace, Jesus gave away more than we could imagine. Entering his creation for us as a baby, willingly giving himself over to misrepresentation, willingly giving himself over to rejection, 
suffering, and death. He did this for our sake so that we might become rich through his poverty. Rich in what? Rich in heavenly glory. Rich, rich to stand in the counsel of God. Rich to be in the presence of God forever. Because grace is willingly giving up what is ours by right. Grace is grace because it is not bought, but it's freely given. We receive from Christ what is vastly beyond our ability to pay. And Jesus gives it gladly, he gives it joyfully, and he gives it unto death. And this is the connection that Paul is trying to help the Corinthians connect to. Money has a way of converting all things into objects, doesn't it? It kind of empties it of its you know, meaning and purpose. Like, like a beautiful painting, like a Van Gogh. We tend to want, people want to calculate that into dollars, millions of dollars, draining it of its history, of its beauty, of its provenance into the financial, into a financial calculation. That's what money does. Everything money touches becomes objectified. Whether it's houses, whether it's holidays, or whether it's happiness. They're transformed by the strange alchemy of dollar values. We even speak of a person's net worth. If you sit down with a financial advisor, they ask you, what's your net worth? I'm I'm a little, it's, it's almost like, ugh, it feels like I'm an object. The grace of God in giving reverses the emptying. It reverses the flattening and destructive power of money because it multiplies and it fills our actions with blessings from God. Let me explain. Because God does not obey the law of money, but the law of giving. Because grace works in the opposite direction. While not being naive about money, grace is the power of giving it away. It fills the things it touches with meaning of giftedness. Like, like life itself, and all the things of life, like relationships and love. Money can't, you can't put, uh, you can't quantify that with money. When you fall in love, you fall in love. When you have a relationship, you, you don't put a dollar value into it. Because it's, that's not what it is, that's not the gift. Life is a gift. To be fulfilled and to be increased by giving it away. That's why you find these paradoxical statements of Jesus when he says, if you lose your life, you'll save it. Or to die is to really live. You always see these paradoxical, because he's trying to open our minds to like, no, it, it, when you give yourself away, it has, it has a spiritual, graceful connotation to it. God does not obey the law of money but he obeys the law of giving. God only submitted himself once to selling. Only one time. And that's when he agreed to pay the price for our redemption. Because the scripture says, you were bought at a price. Jesus became the object of a money relationship and was sold for 30 
pieces of silver. The Son of God was turned into merchandise for us. A transaction. And Paul wants to expose us to the grace. This is why Christians give, because Jesus gave. There is this inexpressible joy inside of us when we realize what we've been given. If you were to meditate just on this alone, it would blow your mind. If you could tap into this, this moment that what Jesus was willing to give up for you, it changes your view. God does not obey the law of money, but the law of giving. In Philippians 2, it says he gave himself, he emptied himself, he went from being immortal to mortal. Judas forgot about the grace given to him. And money had a weird effect on Judas. And he was led away by money and his desire to have it. Because money makes promises that will make you happy, that will make you secure, that everything is going to be okay. One of the Hebrew words for money, there's not a Hebrew dictionary, so what scholars do when they get a word, they have to, they have to, they have to find every time that word is used and how it's used, and that gives it the definition. Like, for example, current word, woke. Like when I sing, I, I woke up. I got out of bed, I woke up. And when I hear a teen use woke, it's something transcendent of knowledge, and it, it just sounds weird, right? So, so you get a word, and you have to use it in its context because a word can have a different meaning in a different context. So in the Hebrew, what the scholars have discovered, that the word for money comes from the root word to desire and to languish after something. Because that's, that's how it's used. Grace is the experience of giving because we have received grace. My third point is that God's grace is central. It's central to giving. Our finances, our resources, they're limited. And they're not just the gifts of grace to us, but the means of God's grace through us to other people as well. It is God's grace that we experience in the act of giving it away. I love donating to special missions. So disciples can have the blessing of having a minister lead their church and plant churches. I love that. Because I know what it's like to live in the L.A. church. We are very blessed to have a lot of ministers and a lot of staff throughout the church. It's awesome. We have L.A. teen camp, L.A. youth camp, singles. It's amazing. Singles events like Goliath. It's amazing. They don't. I love donating because in these countries, there's not a lot of options. There's like one midweek in the whole country. Your options are limited. The apostle becomes very practical by showing what the grace of God looks like financially. And I want to I share that with you. In the lives of just ordinary Christians, under very difficult circumstances, we turn to Paul's other example, and that's the church in Macedonia. They were not wealthy. They were a poor church. But Paul asked the poor church to give to Jerusalem, and he asked the wealthy church. Paul wasn't just discriminating, saying, hey, because they're of means they should give. He even asked the poor Christians to give. That I find amazing. 
Because you don't need a lot of money to be generous. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I always find this to be, I don't know if it's a, it's a universal truth, but I tend to find in my experience, and I'm not being judgmental, I tend to find that poor people have a more generous spirit than wealthy people. Because most of the time, wealthy people give out of their, out of their excess. Poor people, they give, they're giving because it's going to hurt. And I generally find that to be true. And I'm not being biased or trying to make, make a, a weird statement. I'm just saying in my experience, I noticed that. Macedonia was a poor place. And the experience of God's grace in giving is joy. That's the result of it. The giving of God's, of God's grace is joy. The very opposite of anxiety. The very opposite of fear. The Macedonians were facing tough challenges for their Christianity. They were being actively persecuted, and there was grinding poverty. In the midst of the most extreme difficult circumstances, God gives to them a supernatural experience, an abundance, overflowing joy. Because it says, for in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Paul does not talk about how much they gave. He talked about how much it hurt when they gave. There is something at work in the Macedonian churches that is deeper and more important than their circumstances. It is their experience of God's grace and their giving, and that's what they wanted to be a part of. You see, the Macedonians, they received God's grace first, and then did they experience overflowing joy and giving. Their giving wasn't, a, wasn't about their moral virtue, nor did their joy arise from circumstances. It was pretty pitiful. They were not giving it as a public demonstration to say, look at me, look, look at our compassion and benevolence, or because they could easily afford it, because things were not you know, going smooth over there. They gave after realizing that the grace shown them by Jesus. That's why they did it. In the original language of the Greek, joy and grace come from the same root word, but they are not equal. In the Greek, joy depends on grace in its context. Joy depends on grace, which I find awesome. And look what it says. Then they exceeded their expectations. They gave themselves to the first of all to the Lord. And then, by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace 
on your part. I love when Paul explains it. They first gave themselves to God. If you want to be a part of this experience, the very first thing we have to do, or you, if you want to be a part of it, I'm inviting you into that, is to be first giving yourself to God. Because that's how you tap into the grace. That's how you tap into the, into the, into the paradigm of, man, I've been given to by Jesus himself. First means their primary calculation was one of worship, not finance. They didn't go, well, how much can I afford to give? No, their first calculation was, let me give myself to God first. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us to be irresponsible with money. But Jesus and Paul and the Holy Spirit are teaching us that when we give, and you want to experience the inexpressible joy of giving, you first give yourself to God, and you give. And I'm going to talk about giving in a second, about exactly what I mean by that. Put another way, in giving money, the Macedonians were giving themselves to Jesus first, and they had this weekly collection. What we are offering is not so much about money, but about themselves. And this is what, this is what tapped them into this experience of having this relationship. What I find striking about this letter the Old Testament is just chock filled with scriptures on tithing, scriptures on giving tithe and tithe for this and a tithe for that. And the New Testament is an interpretation of the Old. And Paul doesn't draw on the Old Testament tithing here because you can tithe and not be sacrificial. Well, that's what I find amazing. He doesn't go to the practical go-to, hey, are you tithing? Like, no, no. He doesn't even bring it up, which I find astonishing. Now, it's Never in the New Testament is it, is it saying tithing is bad or tithing is wrong. They, that's just not their measuring stick. The measuring stick is sacrificial giving. I find that amazing. Paul could have easily tapped into the tithing. Easily, easily made a theological argument for tithing. But he doesn't. It's striking to me that he didn't do that. Because the experience of God's grace in giving is joy. Sometimes you can give a joyless giving of your tithe. And you miss out on this experience. They gave because they were already experiencing this amazing love of God and that enabled them to give joyfully. When you experience your lo the love of God, you, you start to give. You start to think of other people. You start to think that your life, I'm not going to be here forever. You start thinking about your health. I'm, I can't take anything with me. But I have Jesus. And I tap into that grace. Financial giving is not a way of showing God how much we can do for him, but a way of illustrating how much God has done for us. That's the grace of giving. The experience of God's grace in giving is joy. Paul is saying how God's grace is at work in us through sacrifice. The Macedonians were at rock bottom poor. They lived in extreme poverty. I just can't get my mind around that. Yet the grace of God worked in them in such a way that their poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. 
Reminds me of the widow in Mark 12 when she gave two small copper coins and Jesus made a note of that. That she has given more than anybody else. And he tells us why. Because everybody else gave out of excess. She gave all she had. It was not the amount that Paul draws attention to, but that the grace of God created a generosity that defied natural explanation. This is what Paul is teaching the church. <clears throat> the mark of God's grace, fourth point and last, is that our giving is sacrificial. The scriptures connect grace of God to giving. He also later says that God loves a cheerful giver, and I believe it says that because the person gets it. He understands that he's given himself to God first, and then he gives, and it makes him cheerful. It makes him joyful. He loves a cheerful giver. Then he says, hey, make sure you decide in your heart what you're going to give. Be responsible, but be sacrificial. There's a balance there. Be responsible, but be sacrificial so you can experience the grace. Paul knows that sacrifice connects you to grace. Because it was a sacrifice for Jesus to come. And it wasn't easy. That's what he's trying to connect us to. Is our giving should be and ought to be sacrificial. And then he gives us this example about whoever sows sparingly, this principle, reaps generously, will also reap, gen or whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, but not under compulsion, for God loves a hilarious giver in the Greek. The word is hilarious. It's an interesting word. Because grace is the motivation in why we give. It's a sacrifice that brings joy. Generosity flows through grace. And the amount is not the point. Paul never targets an amount because he wanted the church to experience God's grace through sacrifice. That's why I love that passage. Because Jesus, for the joy set before him, cheerful giver, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was a cheerful giver. And he loves cheerful givers. Isn't that cool? So Paul connects these two. And he, and he has this, this, this psalm, he quotes this Psalm 112 about someone who freely scatters their gifts to the poor. And that psalm is about a man who's been blessed because he, he's in awe of God and he, his reaction to the awe of God is to be giving. Is to be giving. And so Paul quotes that psalm about a man who's blessed because he, he realizes who God is. He freely gives away things. And then in verse 10, it says, when you give away, you'll enlarge your harvest. And I thought, what does that word harvest mean? In the Greek, it literally means offspring. Your, your offering, your, your scattering your gifts will bear fruit. People will become disciples and be a part of your offspring because of your generosity. The Stockholm Church is a good example. They, they leaned on our support for years. They're self-supporting. They're over 160 disciples. They have a minister and they've hired interns. And they're growing. 
and it's successful. That church's growth is attributed to your offspring, Shoreline. Same with AV and same with Milwaukee. It's the offspring of our giving. I find that to be inspiring. And he says here, you will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. In other words, he's saying every time you want to give, first give yourself to the Lord, then decide in your heart, and then be a cheerful giver. That's what he's saying. And through, your, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving. People that receive, receive the gift are going to be thankful to God that there are Christians out there around the world that are thinking about them. And in their prayers for you, their, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, the blessings of being connected to the sacrifice of Jesus, and in turn, we give sacrificially. Because money is a profoundly spiritual reality. God does not obey the law of money, but the law of giving. And God's grace is central to experiencing, experiencing joy in giving. The mark of God's grace is that our giving is sacrificial. This time we're going to take communion. We're going to pray. The table's on to my right and left. And then we're going to close out with a song. Thank you for being a part of our service today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the grace.